0: Well, I really, really hope you're enjoying this Just Jesus series that we're in the middle of, Uh, week number four this week. Here's one way to sum up why we're in this series. One writer said, the gospel about Jesus is so infinitely deep, I know I could keep digging into it for the next century and never reach the bottom. The good news about Jesus is endless, limitless. And for us to keep diving into it is well worth our time. Now, exams. Some people like exams because they can just remember everything and cram it in. Other people hate exams. Some of you are probably waiting to take exams. I wonder how you felt about them. I had an exam disaster once and an exam embarrassment another time. My exam disaster was uh, way back in black and white days. We used to take GCEs, not GCSEs. And um, I took nine of them and was really confident. I remember doing the exams. I thought I'd done really well. I remember getting the results on that fateful slip of paper. And I passed three out of nine. I know, you're really sure. You look at me and think, how could that be the case? But it was was a real disaster. And I didn't know what I was going to do next. My exam embarrassment was I was doing the final year of my degree, my final exams. And I was sitting in this exam... Again, thinking I knew what I was talking about or writing about, I sat there looking at the paper, this question that had to be answered, and I thought, there's some information missing from this question. You know, you hear the occasional story where the examiner got the question wrong, there's a detail wrong, so I sat there and I thought, and I thought, and I checked myself, and I thought, and I thought, and I thought there is a detail missing from this question. So I put my hand up, the invigilator came over, and they went to send for the, the lecturer down the road and sent for him to come back. He came over to my desk, and looked at my desk, looked at my paper, and basically said, you idiot, it's all there. That was my exam embarrassment. I didn't know what to do with myself anyway. I somehow passed. I've no idea how. One common exam question is the Compare and contrast type. You'll be familiar with those. For example, in English, you might get this question. Compare and contrast the writing styles of Charles Dickens and Victor Hugo. In PE, you might get the question. Compare and contrast the fitness requirements for gymnastics and rugby. Maybe in history, compare and contrast the causes of the two world wars. Anybody having shivers at the thought of an exam question like that? Probably. Each question is asking this, in what ways are two things alike, and in what ways are two things different? Comparing and contrasting is also a great way to teach something, and that is exactly what we've got going on in our passage that we're going to read in a minute today, where Paul, the writer of much of the New Testament, is comparing and contrasting both Adam and And Jesus Christ, and let me just say, if that immediately sounds a little bit obscure, I want to hope to help you see that it is absolutely central, foundational, crucial to our understanding. You see, to understand what God has won for us through Jesus, we need to understand what was lost through Adam. The victory of Jesus is most brightly seen against, against the backdrop of Adam's failure. Let's read this passage from Romans chapter 5. It'll be up on the screen. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, he's talking about Adam, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. And he seems to break off and carry on this way. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift, contrast, is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man... talking about Adam still, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin, Adam's sin, and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if... By the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man. How much more, contrast, will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also comparing One righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace, praise God, increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That is an interesting passage. That is a complex passage. Let's see what's going on there. He's talking about Adam and Jesus. Firstly, Adam. You might want to ask, why is Paul introducing this figure from distant time past, Adam, when he's just been talking in the previous passage about the victory of Jesus through his death and resurrection. Why is he reaching all the way back there? He hasn't mentioned um, Adam yet in this whole letter expounding the gospel of Romans. And he doesn't mention Adam again. What's going on here? Why introduce this figure, Adam? Well, the answer is given away, really, by the first word of the passage we read. Therefore, always tells you what he's been saying, this, 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 therefore, that. He's building on where he's finished at the end of verse 11. And he has been explaining Jesus' victory through his death and resurrection. And he's now saying, you see, here's why all this was necessary, If you want to understand why Jesus had to do what he did for us, you need to understand what is said in this passage that we've read. And he proceeds to explain it this way, verse 12. One man's sin, Adam's sin, led to his death, which led to everyone's death because all sinned. There's a chain reaction here. Adam sinned. He died. All sinned. They all die. Adam's Story is clearly very, very important for all of us. Adam, in fact, seems to have a lot to answer for in this passage here. But why why would it matter why someone's action at the beginning of biblical history have anything to do with us still here? Today, well, it matters a great deal, and here's a really important principle for you to get. Adam, you see, is not only a historical figure, though he's clearly believed to be that by the way this is written. The crucial point for Paul's argument here is that as the first human, Adam was the head of the human race, and as such, was our representative whose actions had consequences for all of us down through time. He's not a detached figure from centuries, millennia back, whenever it happens to have been, distant from us. His actions knock on down through all the ages. He's, like, he's a little bit like the first domino. You've, seen, you've probably seen, I've looked for a few of those crazy domino things that people set up. Hundreds of thousands of dominoes, and every single one ends up fallen because of the fall of the first one. It's a little bit like that with us. We can attribute our fall to Adam's fall. He's the first domino to knock down everybody who's ever lived. So Christians talk of Adam as the federal head of the human race. He's the representative of all humanity. In other words, this. Adam's sin and its consequences counted not just for him, but for all that he represented. All who followed on from him as members of the human race. Hence, yes, Adam has a great deal to answer for. And Paul is making this point repeatedly. He's trying to hammer it home again and again here in this passage. Verse 15. The many died by the trespass of the one man, verse 15. Verse 17, by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man. Verse 18, the result of one trespass, Adam's trespass, was condemnation for all men, by which he means all people. Verse 19, through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. You getting the point? You hear what Paul's saying here? Adam isn't just a historical figure, though he is that. He's the federal head. He's the representative human whose actions have knocked on down through time to everybody who has ever lived. Now, if you're a modern Western individualist like me, like most of us in this room, are not everybody by any means, but most of us are in this room, this is a very difficult concept for us to understand. His actions way back when have an effect on me now. What, what are you talking about? It's less difficult for other cultures to understand where you are part of who you are part of. But perhaps it's easier to see the principle in these more modern examples. Boris Johnson, of course, has negotiated on the UK's future relationship with the EU when he did that, he wasn't acting as an individual. He was like a federal head. He was representing us. He was fighting our cause. And what he decided has effect on you, both now and in the future. Or think of Winston Churchill, whose decision to go to war against Germany meant that every citizen he represented was at war with Germany. A head whose actions and decisions knock on down to everybody they represent. And Paul is saying that Adam is the representative head, that's how God set him up to be, of all who have come after him. Therefore, Paul is saying this, before we get to any good news, Paul is saying this, we're all doubly sinners. Not only because we sin personally, but because we all by nature are in Adam and under his headship and the consequences that he brought into the human race. Sin, that's where the term original sin comes from. I don't know, I was asked once on an Alpha course, what do you think about original sin? And I said, well, I certainly didn't have to teach my three boys to sin. It was kind of just in there. I don't have any issue with original sin. That's what's being talked about here. Before I ever sinned, I was a sinner in Adam. One objection could be this. That's really unfair. <laughs> Just because Adam blew it, why does that mean I have to suffer? Well, if it all sounds a bit unfair... Wait till you see how unfair grace is in just a minute. We've had Adam. Secondly, we've got Jesus. Because good news breaks in at the end of verse 14. Paul writes this, of Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. Well, in what way was Jesus a pattern or a type, the ESV uses, a pattern of the one to come? Jesus. Well, certainly not in his actions. Paul's not saying just as Adam fell, Jesus fell. He doesn't mean a pattern like that. What he means is this. He's about to contrast Jesus' actions with Adam's actions and Adam's fruit. He's saying this. Adam is a pattern of Jesus In just as, just as Adam is the head of humanity caught up in his disobedience and guilt. Jesus is the head of a new humanity, caught up in his obedience and righteousness. Adam is a pattern, a federal head. His sin and disobedience led to guilt for all who are born in Adam, everyone. Jesus comes similarly, though very differently, and lives a righteous life and dies our death so that all who are in him benefit from his obedience and righteousness, just as we were discredited by Adam's sin and disobedience. So the bleakness of our predicament in Adam sets the context For explaining the beauty and brilliance of Christ's glorious victory over sin and death. Whereby we are taken out of Adam and put into Christ. We're taken out of Adam with all the discredit and we are placed into Christ with all his credit now to our account. Let me tell you, churches these days don't like to talk about sin And we certainly shouldn't talk about sin, as some of you may have experienced in your church background, where you're just made to feel terrible. Watch out, you dirty sinner. You better confess to the priest or so on to get sorted out. And the system, I'm not trying to put a downer on anybody here, the system is kind of maintained by guilt. But let me tell you, guilt is a very real thing. I was guilty. You were guilty. Sin is a terrible thing. Sin isn't just doing some bad things to your brother. Sin is a deep offense to our holy God. And so it's right to talk about the vileness of sin. But you know why we talk about the vileness of sin? Because it sets the context for the beauty of Jesus. And if you don't see how black, how absolutely black, how black that curtain is, the blackness, the darkness, the stinking, disgusting nature of sin to a holy God, you will never see the brightness of Jesus Christ. Why is the gospel so good? Why focus on just Jesus? Because he's an extraordinary savior from a terrible, terrible predicament. And Paul is explaining here by way of contrast. Think of black and white photographs. You get great great contrast sometimes with a black and white photograph. By way of contrast, he's saying that what Adam did in his disobedience is not like The greater triumph of Jesus' obedience and righteousness. So when I set it up that we were dead and lost in Adam and we're now fine and righteous and obedient in Christ, it's not like Jesus has just settled the score. Jesus has gone way beyond Adam's uh, decline and desperate situation. These two men and their two actions and two outcomes are not equal and opposite. So what are the contrasts that Paul gives here? Well, verse 15, he says this, the gift is not like the trespass. One man's sin brought death to many, but one man's grace overflows to many. Verse 16, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. One sin brought judgment and condemnation, but the gracious Gift followed many sins and brought justification. We were in one by nature. We are in the other all by grace. You deserve this. Let me tell you, you don't deserve this. If that seems a bit unfair, let me tell you, grace is completely unfair. Grace is against fairness. Fairness. Grace isn't given, doesn't apportion you love and kindness and grace and goodness and mercy. Well, he deserves, yeah, a reasonable amount. Well, not so much. You wouldn't, definitely not. Uh, yeah, lots there. It's, it's completely unfair. Praise God, sorry. Praise God for his outrageous grace. Verse 17, through one man's sin, death reigned. But those who receive God's gracious gift of righteousness will reign in life. Jesus has not merely scored an equalizer, cancelling out Adam's work. He has won a resounding, eternal victory. He, He not only... Undoes Adam's sin and its death filled consequences, but gives grace and justification and righteousness and life to all who will trust in him. And to stress his point further, we've had contrast, we have comparison as well. Verse 18, he says this. Just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also, comparison, one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. Verse 19, another comparison. For just as, there are three just as, so also is here. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. So also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. And a third one in verse 21. Let me summarize what we've said so far in these kind of words. Here is Adam who sins, who's condemned, who rightly dies for his wrongdoing and in his wake come his seed, come his descendants, those connected to him by nature like the domino effect. They're guilty, they're condemned in and by his trespass and disobedience before they have done a single sinful thing. But here comes Jesus Who is righteous and obedient and in his wake come all his seed, all his descendants, all those connected to him. Not by nature but by faith justified in and by his righteousness and obedience before they have done a single righteous thing. Verse 17. This is God's abundant provision of grace. Do you know how much you contributed to your physical birth? Simple biology. (laughs) Nothing. You did nothing to put yourself in Adam's trespass and disobedience and death. And you did nothing but being born again, which was all of your heavenly father's doing, to put yourself in Christ's gracious gift of righteousness. This should give you assurance like nothing else. This is such a practical passage. You did nothing to be born into sin. You have done nothing to be born into righteousness. You did nothing to have credited to your account all the negative consequences of Adam's sin. And you did nothing... To have all the righteous benefits of Christ credited to your account. And no day are you any less, any lacking in that righteousness, because Jesus Christ is your righteousness and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I can never doubt that I am less than fully righteous in Christ. It is permanently credited to my account. and then Holy Spirit helped me live that righteous life. Impl- two implications quickly. There are so many things we could say. Let's wrap it up with saying these two things. Number one, we are doubly grateful for Jesus. What Adam did, as we've explained, is ours by connection and imputation. We are in him, and all his sin and guilt is credited to our accounts, but we're guilty as well through personal sin i can't only say well i would be fine if it wasn't for adam I, i'm a really lovely person apart from adam no i'm as guilty as guilty as could be i've sinned here there and everywhere so have you we are doubly guilty we followed in our father's ways. I was around visiting a couple this week. It's really funny. They've got three children I won't, I'm not going to tell you which family it is. They've got three children. The, mo- <laughs> the mother was saying that one of the children is pushing all his father's buttons at the minute. The reason is, they're so alike. The father's saying this other one is pushing all her buttons. The reason, they're so alike. You just got to look at them and say, no one to blame. They got it from you. We are doubly guilty. We have inherited Adam's guilt and sin. But I cannot simply say it is only that. I am very guilty by my own actions. Hence, I am doubly rescued and doubly thankful That Jesus, your victory not only takes me out of Adam and puts me into Christ, but also cleanses me from every single sinful action I've ever done or not done. How about that for a victory? That's remarkable. You will only grow, one writer says, in appreciation of the glories of the gospel in proportion as you grow in appreciation of the ugliness of sin. Be very glad in Jesus because you were very lost in Adam and in your sin. We are doubly grateful for Jesus. Secondly, finally, this, 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 what I've been saying this morning, this passage, this is how we reign in life. I think you could make a case that reigning in life is the wish of every man and woman and child. They might not phrase it, reigning in life, but you could, re, you could rewrite it that way. I want to reign in life. Here's the answer. This passage gives it to us. Those who will receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness, those are the ones who will reign in life. You see, we, people will want to say, if only I was this If only I was that, I could really be something in life. If only I was better looking, if only I had more talent, if only I had more resources, if only I had a better background, then I could reign in life. If only I could have this, if only I could get that promotion, if only I could have that house, that car, that family, that whatever, I could really get going somewhere in life. I could be victorious. I could really enjoy life. But we reign, Paul tells us here, we reign by rejoicing in what he's declared me to be and by enjoying what he's given me. I reign in life by receiving righteousness, by knowing his grace. Do you know what? I may not have much talent. I may be not very good looking. I may not have many advantages. My brothers, my neighbors might be doing a whole lot better. But let me tell you this I'm loved. The grace of God is all over me. I'm righteous. You can't buy that. You can't hope for that. You can't get a university course for that. You can't get a promotion for that. You can only get that by receiving a gift. Let me tell you, folks, you will reign in life That to the degree that you will receive and trust, I am righteous in Christ. Whatever happens to me, live today, die tomorrow, get on well, get on badly. Let me tell you, I'm righteous. Let me tell you, you can't get that anywhere else. I have received the grace of God that makes me right with him. And if I'm right with him, I can be right with me and right with the world. It's amazing. Here are two men, Adam and Jesus, tested in two gardens, two acts, two fruits. But however far we descended to horrific death, depths in the one, we have been raised to unimaginable heights in the other. The only question is will you receive this gift? Will you trust this gift? Will you allow yourself to believe he loves me, whatever happens. He accepts me. I have life now and forever. Folks, that's how you reign, by being doubly grateful in all he's done for us. I wonder if there's anybody here who has never yet said yes to Jesus. And today is your day to do that, to get right with him. You may have wondered, is there a God? Let me tell you, there's a God. Let me tell you, He's shown Himself to us in Jesus Christ as revealed in the Bible. He loves you and wants you to know Him. Today could be your day. And let me tell you, if you are already a Christian, a follower of Jesus, I want to almost cheekily say this become a Christian again today. It's a great idea. It's great to know Jesus as we worship and then we're gonna take communion. Let's be doubly grateful. No, this is how we reign in life and enjoy just Jesus.